Last week, we saw the results of truth construction, postmodern truth construction, creating our own reality, the mental, moral confusion, alienation, and even can lead to uh, ecological damage. Let's just review that real quick, and we're going to dive into the solution. So in chapter 9 of Jeremiah, there's a few verses here. Starting in verse 1, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain for tears. I'd weep day and night for the slain of my people. Oh, that I had in the desert a lodging place for travelers so that I might leave my people and go away from there. For they're all adulterers, a crowd of unfaithful people. So he goes kind of from <laughs> sorrow to frustration. Verse 3, they make ready their tongue like a bow to shoot lies. It is not by truth that they triumph in the land. They go from one sin to another. They do not know me, declares the Lord. So there's again that problem of they don't know God. And so then what happens? The alienation. Beware of your friends. Don't trust your brothers. For every brother is a deceiver. Every friend a slanderer. So notice again the connection. Deceit has saturated their culture and that erodes trust. They don't know God. And then down in verse 6, you live in the midst of deception. In, the midst, in their deceit, they refuse to know me declares the Lord, so that the deceit has gotten so deep that they're, they're willfully resisting knowing God. So then verse 7, God says, I'm going to punish them. I'll refine them and test them. For what else can I do because of the sin of my people? <clears throat> and then uh, drop down to verse 9, should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? And he mentions in verses 10 and 11, it's going to be in the country and in the city. Both will have devastation, and destruction. So this is a similar principle we see in a lot of the prophets. The way it's written in Hosea chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Actually, I'll have you turn there just for a minute just so you see this. Look at the book of Hosea, the first minor prophet. He also has this as a theme, but he states it especially clearly. So look at Hosea chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. He says, I'll be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I'll tear them to pieces and go away. I'll carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. So this is a kind of an odd thing to us. What's going on here? Hosea teaches, Jeremiah teaches, God destroys in order to heal. Now why? Why this judgment? Because these are God's people. This is not just any old nation in the ancient world. These are the people, the nation of Israel. They're a nation, but they're sort of like the Old Testament church. Right? So they're a nation, but they're also the people that are supposed to bring the word of God to the surrounding nations. So when they have become so filled with deception that they don't even know the truth of God, God says, I'm going to have to tear apart what exists to build up what should be. And so that happened in the book of Hosea. It's earlier than the book of Jeremiah. God had to tear apart the nation of Israel as they knew it in order to produce a remnant that could actually represent Messiah's people. Right? They had to do that. And so now again, in Jeremiah's day, uh, Jeremiah, let's think a little bit about this for a moment here. When we read Jeremiah and the messages that he got, we're reading about the generation that Jeremiah preached to, right? 
But that's not really the point, is it? They wrote down Jeremiah's prophecies after they'd already experienced the judgment that Jeremiah predicted. Why? Jeremiah is written to the people of his generation, but it's written for the generations following that they could look at that and say, okay, let's not do the same thing, right? So the reason that Jeremiah is scripture, and he wasn't just a preacher in his day, is his predictions came true, and so the next generation said, we need to get the memo here. We need to understand this, and so they put it down in scripture for the following generations, really including us, so we could understand what's going on, see what's... So now let's put it in our context. With postmodern thought beginning to become dominant in Western civilization... Christians have responded two ways, accommodation and withdrawal. Accommodation are the Christians that say, well, yeah, I guess really truth is just constructed and we're just going to have to kind of fit in with the culture and maybe we have a little witness there, but they just kind of go with the flow. And then the isolationists are the ones that say, it's dark on there, out there, let's just stay inside, right? They're kind of like, let's just back up and withdraw. But of course, neither of those are good responses. And so... The conclusion here is not to isolate from a lack of love or to accommodate out of a spiritual weakness, but love that contends for the truth. And so a third way is possible. Jeremiah outlines the response <clears throat> of faithful remnant disciples who care. It's the response of faithful remnant disciples who care. Not culture withdrawing, not accommodation, but standing, witnessing, living in the midst of the culture. See, now I say this seriously before we go on. Honestly, in North America, it's not true in Europe, but for believers in North America, really our default mode for about half a century has been, boy, things are bad, let's just form our own things and just kind of back up. And we don't really expect to have a voice in the public square. So now what has happened is the public square said, well, that's right then, so let's just, you know, let's just let those Christians stay out of there and, you know, don't bring your moral truth into the public square. But as we're going to see, that truth is the hope of the very people that are being destroyed by the deceptions. And so we've got to find a way to, the third way, right? We've got to find a way to not accommodate, but not to isolate. And so again, God needs transformational people. So what we'll explore this morning in looking at solutions is what are the growing edges of transformational people? In other words, people that bring change, transformational people, what are things that we're going to want to be growing in? So the first growing edge for transformational people is knowing God's truth. So to look at chapter 9. Verses 12 to 16, he's talking about the devastation. He says, what man, what person is wise enough to understand this? Who's been instructed by the Lord and can explain it? Why has the land been ruined and laid waste like a desert that no one can cross? So he's saying, we should be able to figure this out. The Lord said, it's because they've forsaken my law, which I set before them. They've not obeyed me or followed my law. Instead... They followed the stubbornness of their hearts. They followed the Baals as their father taught them. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. See, I will make this people eat bitter food and drink poison water. I'll scatter them among the nations 
that neither they nor their fathers have known, and I'll pursue them with the sword until I've destroyed them. So God destroys to heal. And so, let's pray actually right there. Father, we ask in Jesus' name, as we look at your word, help us to understand it in their context first of all, but then to grasp how this relates to where we live today and how to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, verse 12, he implies that you know, sometimes we think, well, God is God, and he's really big and mysterious, and, you know, wow, how can we? But Jeremiah is saying here, the wise can understand. The wise can know enough about what God's doing in the world to grasp why things occur the way they occur. They know God's ways. I'll give you three quick examples. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, it teaches God blesses obedience and curses disobedience. Now, that's not just for believers. That's how life works, right? You know this, right? So people with a good work ethic and are frugal, they tend to prosper, right? That's not just true for Christians. That's true for everybody, right? There's thing, life works a certain way. As Mike just shared us, joyful people are compelling. <laughs> and you listen to what they have to say, right? These are just, that's true for everybody, Okay, so these are just things that are true about life. God blesses that when we line up with his ways. Uh, a couple other ones that are not from Jeremiah that I just wanted to see, help you to see that there's things we can know about the Bible that can help you understand what's going on in the world. Look at Exodus uh, 19, verses 5 and 6. This is background material to help you understand what is it he expects them to know. Well, when Moses offers, when God offers the covenant to Israel, he says, Verse 5 and 6, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you'll be my treasured possession. Right? So he's saying to them, hey, if a group of people gets together, Israel in their case, and they say, we're really going to follow the Lord, you'll be my treasured possession. In other words, God's going to really bless you, pour out on you. Although the whole earth is mine, two more things, you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, I, I'm not going to unpack all of this right here, but we can trace this theme through the whole Bible. And there's three things, that, and you, if you want to look at 1 Peter 2.9 later, you can see that actually the church fulfills this, okay? 1 Peter 2.9, if you want to look it up. But it's the same three things over and over. God is looking for people that will say, we're not perfect, right? But we're yours. We're yours. He says, you do that, you're going to be my treasure. I'm going to just... I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to call you to holiness. I'm going to change you, like Matt was sharing earlier. And you know what? You're, you're going to be priest. Now, what's a priest? You know, Protestants don't know what a priest is. A priest is a mediator between God and, and humanity. And guess what? If you know Jesus, you're a priest. You mediate the word of God to the people around you and the presence of God to the people around you, and you mediate their needs back up to the Lord in prayer. Okay, He's saying, and if you, you trace this out, I just want to give you an idea because the wise understand these things, right? That this has been God's plan all along. So you wonder, you know, like, I'm going to destroy my people because they're not doing what I want. Oh my gosh, what's God? Does he mean? No. He's like, you have such a higher destiny, right? You're intended to be the vessel of God's word and presence to the world. So don't settle for less, right? The connection between 
the Holy One of God, you know, of the world and the people of the world. That's the, you see, so the wise understand that, okay, we, we can't just, you know, so when in the church, how does this work in the church? God destroys to heal. So when the church begins to wander, God tries to bring circumstances that cause the church to draw back to God. And that usually happens. But if that doesn't happen, if a, if a, a church or a group of churches continues to persist against his will, eventually they become a club, usually with a lot of money because they own property. But, you know, but they don't have any ministry left anymore. We don't want to see that happen, right? We want to see renewal in every, every vital group of believers in the world. And so we want to be that. That's, that's, when you understand that, God's seeking a people wholly his so we can be. And then the other one, just real quick, you should know this anyway. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3 is the promise to Abram, who later becomes Abraham. But it's the, it's the, it's the picture of the whole spiritual life for everybody, okay? And you'll see this in a minute. Sorry, I try to contain myself. <laughs> okay. What does God say to Abram? After the Tower of Babel, they seek their own name. He says, I'm going to give you a name. He says, I'll make you into a great nation and bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right here, you see it. So you've always got, you know, the group of Christians that like, God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. He wants to, you know, pour out, pour out, pour out, pour out. You know, that's true. So he says, I want to bless you. And then we've got the group that say, man, it is, we've got to embrace the cross. We've got to die to self. And it's, it's suffering and it's a challenge. And, and there's a mission here. And they're right too. And so what it is, is you, you bring it together. God wants to bless you in order that you can pour out your life in a Christ-like way and be a blessing to those around you. That's the whole Christian life. Okay? That's it. And so Abram is the pattern for the whole spiritual life. So you may get to see this now. <laughs> if you can just get a handle on even a little bit of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see the wise understand what's going on because they understand what God is doing, right? He wants to bless you to make you a blessing. He wants to pour out on his people, but he'll work to make you holy because you're going to be his representative, his priests to the whole nations. And if the priests, I mean, you know, again, we're not talking sinless perfection here, but if the priest is so damaged and confused in their life that they can't represent the king, then he's got to work with that person and bring healing and restoration, which is a big part of what sojourn's about, right? Okay? Make sense? So the wise are going to understand what's going on because they recognize what God is doing. So biblical theology reminds us Israel failed the Messiah came. The Messiah's church is now the agent of that blessing. So here's the, here's the punchline as we go back to Jeremiah. If we're wise enough to understand, we will recognize when things are haywire in our society why that is. We'll recognize we've wandered from God's principles and so if we're confused in our sexuality as a nation, if we're confused about 
what children need to grow up in terms of a home, if we're confused about what marriage looks like, that's going to create devastation for people. The wise should understand that. God can't bless evil. So the parallel, I think we see this already, but the parallel is not ancient Israel and America. The parallel is ancient Israel as the Old Testament church and the church. So I'm not saying, oh, I'm shocked that American society is confused. That doesn't surprise me. Our concern is that the church not be confused about God's ways, right? Because we're the hope. <laughs> we're the vessels of hope. Jesus is the hope. We're the vessels for the hope. And so here's where it hits the bottom line. Have you, as it says in Jeremiah, been instructed by the Lord? Well, have you? Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Amy's just smiling quietly at the introvert, and Lisa's saying yes. Yeah, right. Right? What do you have to do? Tole legata. Right? Those are the words that Augustine heard right before he got saved. Pick up and read. <laughs> okay. You know, it's really interesting to me uh, that sometimes Christians will be asked a hard question and they'll say, I don't think, I don't know, you know, there's no answer. It's just an unanswerable question. Well, sometimes there are unanswerable questions. That's true. It's good to humbly admit that. But you know what? Sometimes we just don't know the answer. It's right there. And so take and read. You've been instructed by the Lord. The first growing edge of transformational people is Knowing the truth. Knowing the truth, okay? Another growing edge for transformational people is knowing God's heart. Now, this is really interesting. Look at verse 17 of chapter 9 of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Consider now, call for the wailing women to come. Send for the most skilled of them. They had professional mourners. <laughs> Let them come quickly and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How ruined we are. How great is our shame. We must leave our land because our houses are in ruins. Now, women, hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another a lament. Death has climbed through our windows. It's entered through our fortresses. It's cut off the children from the streets and the young men from the public squares. This is one of the key additions to our theology that Jeremiah brings. Fascinating. You can read a lot of the Old Testament and find out that God's going to judge evil. But a key truth that Jeremiah teaches, and actually it's a key truth for North American society right now because um, God's judgment is a cause of offense to many. Jeremiah teaches us that that judgment comes with a broken heart. Mourning evil, mourning devastation. Jesus even said, blessed are those who mourn. See, here's the danger for the church. To know the truth and to hold it in pride. I'm better. To know the truth and feel superior. To know the truth and isolate from the very people that need the truth. And it's easier, isn't it? It's easier. It's messy to get in those discussions. The apathetic, the callous, know the truth, but don't care. People are headed for hell, not my problem. Not what you want to say. 
So as you know, the drama of God's judgment in the Old Testament is one of the things that even non-Christians will say they troubles them, people that you're trying to share with. The irony is that the Old Testament talks more about the pain in God's heart over judgment than it ever does in the New Testament, interestingly enough. Here is a powerful witness addressing evil with tears in your eyes. I encourage you to gain the heart of God here. It's not enough to know the mind of God and have wisdom, to have the heart of God and recognize that God himself is broken over the need for judgment. Yes, gender-modifying hormones are a bad choice, but does she see the pain in my eyes over her gender dysphoria? And the struggle of her soul. Closer to home. Yeah, you need to be free of pornography to have a godly and healthy life, but do we communicate care or judgment? We can analyze social trends and see devastation on the horizon, and we should do that. That's part of a thinking Christian's job. But when we speak, it must be with a heart that breaks. Proverbs says, a gentle tongue breaks a bone. In other words, it has influence. So a second growing edge of transformational people is knowing God's heart. A final growing edge of transformational people is knowing God. Do we just have truth or even truth with compassion? You can have truth with compassion and bring people to the door. But can you bring them to the Savior, the knowledge of God? Do you yourself know God or just about him? Look at verses 22 through 24. Say, this is what the Lord declares. Oh, actually, 23 and 24. Sorry, Hebrew is a little different than English when the way they number. 23, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast or exult, really, of his wisdom, or the strong man exult of his strength, or the rich man exult of his riches. But him who exalts, let him exult in this, that he comprehends and knows me, that I am the Lord, who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. So the bottom line is not even knowing the wisdom of God, the compassion of God, but it's knowing God. The wise, you know, it's funny. Look at what he says there, actually, in verse 23. Yeah. Notice it's the three sources of power, right? Now, you might identify with one of these more than the other, the wise, the strong, either literally or, you know, powerful in business or whatever, you know, or the wealthy, American society. These are the three, three of the major human sources of strength and influence, right? And so you might identify with one more than the other. I know I do. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to guess. Okay, so, <laughs> but what do we do even with respect to the other two? Oh, all the time we look down on, you know, maybe in the Midwest we want to look down on those Silicon Valley billionaires, right? The wealth issue, right? Oh, well, you know, all they have is money, you know? Well, we tend to judge the other two of whichever one we identify with. Um, but that's not the point at all, is it? The point is that we understand and know him. So as I just mentioned, boast is really best uh, translated exalt. If it were about God, it would actually be the word praise, right? 
It's about people, so we don't use that translation. It's what we rejoice in, though. He says that he understands and knows me. I am staggered by this verse. What are we supposed to boast about? That we comprehend the Most High God and that we know him personally. Now, we correctly, we recognize there's mysteries in God, right? But that is not what Jeremiah is emphasizing right here. He's saying you should exult in the fact that not just, okay, I know the Lord, I have a relationship with him, but that you really understand what God is doing. This is the door, the opportunity to comprehend that is being open to you in the Bible. I know out of a concern for uh, legalism and I have a concern of not people being overwhelmed. I've often said, you know, just have a seven-minute seven devotional time and I've been trying to encourage people and I kind of felt rebuked as a pastor. No, you know what? If you got time, and you probably do, take this book an hour a day and begin to comprehend what God is doing on the earth. And as Mike was sharing, let the passages on faith inspire you and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk on water <laughs> and I'm going to experience what can happen in the Christian life and, 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 and come to know him in prayer where you're being honest and vulnerable and he's changing you. Take time with God and the word of God. It, you will never fail. You know, I'll tell you, I do feel remiss. My campus pastor challenged us, and I think I studied the Bible as much as I studied chemistry, maybe more, which was not good for my chemistry degree, but anyway, I made it through. Uh, you know, and, and that you can understand, and he says you can comprehend what God is doing. If you will study the word of God, if you will bury your soul in the truth of the word of God and then know him by faith, do you personally know God? Not just a quick prayer, you can come to know God deeply. Of course, there are mysteries. But sometimes we use mystery as a cover for spiritual laziness. Memorize. Uh, not only read, maybe an hour a day, I don't know, half hour a day, whatever. I don't want to put numbers on it. That's not the point. But to be hungry and thirsty. And I also encourage you, memorize key truths. If you want a topical memory system, I'll give one to you. You can memorize two verses a day. At the end of the uh, full school year, you'll have 60 verses in your soul powerful, right? And Or if you're a high school student, maybe even memorize a chapter a week and begin to just saturate your brain with scripture, right? Again, not out of legalism, not out of performance, but to really know God. By the time I got to a seminary, I realized I had so much scripture in my brain, I'd know what they're talking about right away, right? Kind of cheating on Greek and Hebrew because you got to, you know, yeah, a little bit of a problem. Yeah, I know. Amy's going like this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always try to say to myself, no, do I just know this or, you know, am I really reading? Right, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> Obey God and you will get insight. Crucify sin. You know, C.S. Lewis has a great quote on temptation. He says, anybody that says it's easier to overcome temptation has not tried for more than an hour. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? And, and when you fight that battle, you actually get insight into yourself and the human person. And you learn a dependence you could not learn in any other way. Very powerful. But also on the positive end, step out in some ministry step. And you will learn things you could never learn. You can understand and know God. So the final growing edge of transformational people is knowing God. So put it all together. 
When we, like Judah, perceive that society is falling apart around us, what can we do? We need to know the truth, but not stand in judgment. We need to know God's compassion and care, but not even stop there. We need to know God and bring that to others. Stand with me.